Hey, everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. Today is Wednesday, September the 15th. And today I am pleased to have a very special guest on the show with me today. Dr. Scott Jensen, who is running right now for governor of Minnesota, is on the show today. And we're going to talk about his race for governor and also the continued panic that's being peddled out of Washington, D.C. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. My name is Heidi St. John, and after serving Washington families for the past 17 years, I am running for Congress to put a proven conservative voice in the House of Representatives to represent the people of Washington State's 3rd Congressional District. If you've had enough of liberals who disguise themselves as conservatives, I need your help. Together, we can tell both the rhinos and opportunistic out-of-state candidates we want our voice back. To join me in my fight for Congress, please visit HeidiStJohnForCongress.com. Thank you guys for listening today. As always, uh, I appreciate the reviews that you're leaving for the show over at iTunes and uh, for the books that I've written at Amazon right now. You guys know, because we talk about it almost every day here, that the nation is on fire And there are a few voices out there right now who I think have really been appointed for such a time as this. One of them is a guest on my show today, uh, Dr. Scott Jensen. I was made familiar with him through some Facebook videos that I saw that he did talking about uh, COVID-19 and really the misinformation that's out there and the lies that we're seeing in the internet, particularly coming down from our own government. Uh, Dr. Jensen is a lifelong Minnesotan and a trusted doctor there. And as I'm watching him, I have also come to believe he has been one of the strongest voices against the crippling lockdowns that have really been hurting, I'm sure, uh, his economy, because I know they're greatly impacting mine here. And I'm just thrilled to have him on. Uh, Dr. Jensen, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Heidi. Thank you, Heidi, for having me on. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. So I so there's so many things to talk about. You've been involved in politics before your run for governor. Uh, why don't you give listeners a little bit of your background and kind of how you got to where you are right now? Well, I'm a small town kid. I grew up in a family of five in Sleepy Eye, Minnesota. And I went to the University of Minnesota for my undergraduate degree in physiology. And then I spent time in dental school and the seminary and then went into medicine. I served 10 years on the school board in Minnesota and was chairman for three and a half years. And I also served one term in the Senate in Minnesota from 2017 to 2020. So you served until 2020 in the House, in the State House, and now you've taken your race to uh, to governor. You guys have a terrible governor right there in Minnesota right now. I mean, you've got a terrible governor like I do. I've got Jay Inslee. Who are you guys suffering under right now? Our governor is Tim Walls. And I think Governor Walls has been pushed and pressured by the hard left to move their direction. And I think, again, this is politics, but I think sometimes this kind of thing happens because career politicians are too focused on their next election. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing what they said they do, or instead of having the conversations that need to be had, they're frequently shying away from anything that might hurt their election chances. And so they become someone who the state can't even recognize. And and ordinary citizens are the ones who are suffering from all this, right? Absolutely. People have been told by Governor Walls that 
one Minnesota isn't nearly as important as it was when it was a campaign slogan. But instead, what really matters is that he and his team are going to make a decision as to whether or not you can keep your business open, whether or not the business that you are engaged in is essential or non-essential, safe or non-safe. You might be able to go to the biggest candy store in Minnesota. You might be able to go to a big box liquor store, but you can't go to church. You might be able to buy a hammer at a Home Depot, but you won't be able to go to your local hardware store. These are the kinds of idiotic notions that Minnesotans have been living under. And unfortunately, uh, because we see mostly leftists that are pushing these kinds of uh, pandemic-related, you know, emergency order-related insanity onto the people, and it's hurting people, right? I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that what's happening in Minnesota is exactly what's happening here in Washington State. I'm watching businesses go under. We're seeing a skyrocketing suicide rate here now as people are starting to feel a sense of hopelessness, and now we've got mandates coming down from the White House. What is your feeling uh, let's talk about the mandate really quick, and then I really want to talk about the the panic that is being pushed out of the administration. But what is your feeling on these lockdowns from the very beginning? That's how I first came across your videos. You were very outspoken, and I'm assuming this has cost you quite a bit in the medical community. It has. My license is being investigated right now for the fourth time. Frankly, I have thought about this concept of civil disobedience for some time. And the thoughts really started with the Great Barrington Declaration, which was written about a year ago. And I I believe I may have been the first Minnesota physician to sign on to it. And it's a document that basically points out that we are going the wrong direction. Lockdowns do not accomplish what we have been told they would. The fact of the matter is we should have a laser-focused, supportive, protection for the vulnerable. That's where our efforts should be going. The idea of shutting down the economy, demanding that four-year-olds wear masks and locking people down, locking nursing home residents into their room with no loved ones to support them while they go through the last couple of months of life. These things will be the lasting legacy, and they make no sense. Now we see the president of the United States saying, we're going to mandate that private companies have to do this. This is an overreach of astonishing proportions. I have come out and said that I think that civil disobedience is called on. And I think the reason is because this is the same kind of thing that is sometimes needed to take place in our country for our country to get back on track. About 15 months ago in Minnesota, we had the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church both come out and say, we are not going to abide by Governor Walz's policies in regards to letting 50 people go into the bars and restaurants, but only 10 people could go to church. Mm -hmm. They said, we're done. They did it. They were non-compliant in a non-violent manner. And they simply said, a week from Sunday, we're having services. Governor Walz knuckled. He, he, He flinched. And he called them and said, okay, let's work this out. And they did. There was an ensuing law uh, legal case. And Governor Walls and Keith Ellison did not win that lawsuit. And instead, they settled it out of court. The fact of the matter is, civil disobedience is the same kind of tool that needed to be used by Martin Luther King Jr. in the 1960s, Rosa Parks in 1955. And it's a very real thing. And even with the lockdowns, there were people who were trying to be, if you will, good stewards of their business, 
good caretakers for their family. They tried to abide by as many rules as they could, but they couldn't necessarily, if you will, abide by the letter of the law as dictated by Governor Walls. And they had the full force of the Attorney General's office come down on them. Some of these people owe $30,000, $40,000 in fines, and all they're trying to do is take care of their family. Minnesotans have to wake up. Americans have to wake up. And frankly, human beings have to realize that we're wired for freedom and autonomy, and we've got to stand up. So what do you say to the people? So this is this is a, an incredibly uh, important conversation because I was speaking at a women's event this last weekend and one of the questions that we took from the audience said, "Hey, this isn't this is not authoritarianism. This is not persecution. This is just people trying to keep you safe." How do you answer that question? I say it in one word. Constitution we have a constitution. Our constitution is different. Many countries' constitutions identify what the citizens can do. Ours doesn't. Our constitution decides what the government can do. We specifically identify what the federal government can do. And if it isn't identified, it's the states. But the fact of the matter is, our constitution is a game changer for democracies across the world and for future centuries to come. And we need to remember that our constitution says that we have a very constrained allowance of power and authority given to the federal government. And we need to abide by that. And when the president of the country comes out and says, I'm going to put into place legislative actions without the legislature, i.e. Congress, playing a role in it, every American should stand up regardless of how they feel about vaccines. This is not about vaccines as much as it's about the very essential nature of our country. I think it's fascinating to know that the people who are trying to control others and the people who enjoy being controlled by others, you would think these are uh, th- that these are on opposite ends of the political spectrum, but they're not. Both of these groups of people are overwhelmingly populated by individuals on the left who have a fundamentally different idea about this nation's founding and where we should be headed. And even sadder, I think, and more frightening has been the acceptance of authoritarianism by now over half of the American population. We have been a beacon of liberty all around the world. We were the country to which France gave the Statue of Liberty. America has been, as President Abraham Lincoln characterized it, the last best hope on earth. And we are seeing uh, this all come to a screeching halt because of a virus with a 99.9% survival rate. That is alarming to me. I think you're right. We have been willing to negotiate small removals of our liberties for security, and we're ending up with nothing. I think President Reagan said that as government expands, liberties contract. We're seeing that, and people are accepting it. They're saying, oh, well, I guess the government can make the decision as to whether or not my business is really essential or not, or whether I can really be safe. And what astonishes me, Heidi, is watching the four-year-olds or the three-year-olds with masks on. Do we not as thoughtful, practical adults see that the children are picking at them, playing with them, touching their face? They're doing the same thing that adults do, but they're doing it more because they're three and four-year-olds. We are absolutely blinding ourselves to the reality of logic. And so we're going to pay a deep price. We're going to have legacy moments emanating from this pandemic 
that sometime down the road will be embarrassing to us. And this is something that happens repeatedly in the course of a, of a citizen's or a government's history. And we have the ability right now to, to say, no, enough is enough. President, President Biden does not get to act like a king. And what he's doing is wrong, and it warrants civil disobedience, meaning that, quite frankly, employers with more than 100 employees should not start firing their employees. They should not insist that they get vaccines. This is less than a week old, and we should allow the courts to weigh in on this. This is why we have the kind of government we have. When I say civil disobedience, I am not talking about people going onto the streets with guns. I'm talking about nonviolent, noncompliance. Because what President Biden has chosen to do is so far out of the stratosphere of what the Constitution allows, every American should protest. Yeah, I agree. And when people are talking, I you know, we can speak directly to to business owners. So I own a business, you're, you are a, a physician. And the fact of the matter is people don't know what civil disobedience looks like. I love that you said we're talking about nonviolent noncompliance. That means that we stop listening to every whim from Father Fauci, who's the high priest over the Branch Covidians, and all of these people that are giving these uh, un- unconstitutional and tyrannical dictates that are really fundamentally changing the way this country is run. What do you say to business owners right now? The people who own these small uh, these small businesses who are uh, feeling the, the real pinch of it, because me, these guys are the tip of the spear to my way of thinking. And if they would have the courage to stand up to this, uh, I think we'd start to see a real shift in public opinion. Well, I think the business owners are put in a tough spot. And I yes. get that because I'm a business owner. I started my own clinic. I have numerous employees. And I would ask myself, as a business owner, is it fair for me to have an employee who's done everything I have asked of them yep. to give me the best 25 years of their working lives and to ask them to either take a vaccine that they ethically, morally, and religiously object to potentially and tell them that if they don't take the vaccine, I'm going to fire them. If if that's my prerogative, then why wouldn't I do that if there were other unsavory habits that they have? Maybe they smoke in the car. Maybe they don't maintain an ideal BMI. Maybe they didn't get a shingle shot. Maybe they don't get a flu shot every year. Where does it stop? It seems to me that when I hire an employee, that's when I have to lay out what the requirements are. If I'm running a clinic that specializes in the treatment of cancer patients with chemotherapy, and over and over again, I'm seeing people with a weakened immune system, potentially status post a bone marrow transplant, that needs to be laid out at the front end. But if I've had good employees do all that I could ask, and I can manipulate them in this way, why wouldn't I even go into a different arena of ethics and say, gee, if I want to reduce the payroll costs of my company, there might be an opportunity here. Or gee, I've got this employee that I know is passionately against vaccines, and I've not really had a way to get rid of him or her, but maybe I could use this tool to my advantage. 
This is Pandora's box. We need to stand up for the employees and recognize that they get to have a choice too. And if, if they've been getting high quality reviews and raises every year and they never had to get a flu shot and now they're being told, you got to get this COVID shot, even though Mayo Clinic just came out and identified that it's only 42% effective against the Delta variant, which is 98% of what's going around Minnesota, something doesn't smell right. No, it doesn't. And the truth of the matter is, if the if the employers, based on this mandate, can you're right, it could be completely arbitrary. You know, I don't like that you smoke. I wish that you would take better care of yourself. Uh, I've heard that your that your habits at the bars in the evening are, are frustrating, or whatever it is. Why can't the government then turn around and do the same thing? If the government now can say uh, we're going to mandate that you get this shot, whether it violates your conscience or not, even though the virus has a 99.9% survival rate, now we're realizing, hey, the vaccine doesn't work very well against uh, against the Delta variant. What's to say that the government can't move the requirement next month? Why do they have to stay with their with their current mandate? Heidi, it's always incremental. Yep. That's why we talk about that age-old biologic experiment, which I don't think anybody should try. And it actually doesn't quite work out the way people talk about it, but it's still this landmark biologic experiment where if you drop a frog into a pot of boiling water, they will jump out. But if you put a frog in a cool pan of water and slowly turn up the heat, they might boil to death. What they're getting at with that theorized experiment is that if things are done incrementally, you can do things to people that you could never otherwise do. And that's what's been happening. I think that President Biden overreached far too much, too suddenly. And I think even people that agree with many of his policy decisions are saying, no, this is way too far. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's why he's getting bipartisan pushback from all circles. And it's critically important that we allow our courts to weigh in on this because we cannot allow one man to be the king of the country and to arbitrarily say this, this, and this. This is why in a video recently, I mentioned Martin Niemöller in 1946, who mentioned that when they came for the trade unionists, he didn't speak up. And when they came for the Jews, he didn't speak up. And when they came for him, there was nobody to speak up for him. We are in this together. And if we don't defend our constitution, we are literally, we are saying that we're not interested in risky freedom. We're far more content with safe bondage. And if that's the case, count me out. I hope you guys are enjoying this conversation with my friend, Dr. Scott Jensen, who is currently running for the governor in the great state of Minnesota. For more information about his run, you can go to drscottjensen.com. That's drscottjensen.com. Find out about his run and how you guys can get involved in it. The fact of the matter is these races are not going to be affected by good people unless good people get behind the people that are running. And uh, Dr. Jensen is worthy of your support. Also, we're going to come back tomorrow and I'm going to air part two of my interview with Dr. Jensen. We're going to be spending a little bit of time talking about COVID 
and how the panic has really changed the face of this nation. We're talking about a virus with a 99.9% survival rate, and we will be talking about statistics tomorrow. We'll be talking about natural immunity. Should you get a vaccine if you've already had uh, the Rona, what's happening in Israel, and other really important topics. Come on back tomorrow, and I'll see you for part two of my interview with Dr. Scott Jensen at the intersection of faith and culture. For more encouragement, visit me online at momstronginternational.com.